0: Hello, I'm Angelina
1: and I'm Martin.
0: and this is the CX cast Welcome back, listeners. today in the house, my co-host Martin Gill. How's it going, Martin?
1: It is going uh, stormy and rainy is the is the vibe today?
0: Glad to hear the weather is crummy for you too, Martin. It is cloudy here as well, but there's a sunny spot because we have Julie Ask in San Francisco calling in. She is VP Principal Analyst. And
2: Julie, do you mind describing what you cover? Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me, Martin and Angelina. And yes, what I cover at the heart of it, I help our clients make smart decisions about where and how to serve their consumers when it comes to digital touch points. So, what are the devices, the platforms, the channels, and the interfaces they should be using to serve their customers?
0: Okay, so how are you even looking out there and knowing what the landscape is for digital touch points?
2: So, first, let me define what a digital touch point is. So a digital touchpoint is the unique combination of device, platform, channel, and interface that a consumer uses to access digital content and services. It's a bit orthogonal when we think of consumers and digital touchpoints. So on one hand, we have where they access the internet. So that's the devices and the platforms and the channels. And by platform, we mean it could be at the iOS level, like Apple or Android, or it could be Meta or platforms like WeChat if you're in China. And then on the other dimension is how they get access to the internet. So it could be through the traditional GUI interface that a lot of us have been using for the past 30 years. It could be direct messaging or chat, which has certainly become very hot recently with generative AI. Could be voice, could be more of an extended reality, and it could even be gesture-based control, like waving my arms or looking at something. If we think about the new Apple Vision Pro, I can use my eyes to select something and pinch my fingers together to select it. Or if we look at things like metaverse precursors, it could even be a gaming controller. But fundamentally there's two dimensions, it's where and it's how, and each digital touch point is some unique combination of all four of those elements.
1: So, You're describing an increasingly bafflingly complex world. Yes. So like, I used to work in a retailer before I came to Forrester, and we're talking like 10, 12 years ago. And back then we had a website, we had some stores, and we had some kiosks in the stores, which are kind of a digital experience. And we had a contact center. And we guarantee that if if a customer was standing in a store, they weren't on the website, because this is pre-mobile,
2: pre-smartphone
1: days. If they were talking to the contact center agent, they probably weren't in a store. Maybe they were. There, There was a high degree of channel separation. But you're describing a world that's increasingly blended hybrid physical digital everything's mashing together so how do organizations manage this complexity
2: there's two things you said martin that i think are really important is one we're not in a binary world anymore i'm not like offline in the store online it's not mobile or pc right i can be using a lot of different touch points at one time and so it is increasingly complex and one of the reasons it's complex, right? So one of the exercises we went through is we went and we try to count up just like how many of these digital touch points are there that consumers have today? And we counted over 300 that I call possible, but not plausible. And then about 70 that consumers can be using. So you can imagine I can have a smartphone or a tablet. I can be on an app. I can be doing direct messaging. I can be sending or receiving messages, whatever it may be. And you're very right. I could be doing that in a store. I could be doing that in my car. And I could be engaging with, you know, multiple devices. I can be online and offline at the same time. So one of the things that we did is we said to executives, we went out and said to executives, like, hey, this is the future that we see. It's really, really complex. Is this impacting you? And all of the executives said, yeah, hell yeah, that's impacting me. That's a really hard problem. And it's creating a lot of tension inside of our organizations.
0: Okay. Tension. What's the tension? Are there some who are in denial? Are there others trying to get to these customers and aren't able to reach them or hitting
2: barriers on the inside? Yeah. So a couple of the biggest tensions are, on one hand, you have the website and the app, and companies have been doing websites for 30 years. They've been doing mobile apps for more than 10 years. They tend to have pretty decent governance around what they're doing there and how they're doing it. But what's happening is, is like touch points are being added at this incredible rate, right? There's things like mobile messaging and there's direct messaging and there's voice. And not only are more touch points are popping up and up and up and up, but the cost to a consumer of adopting those touch points is going down because most of it is free. It's on my smartphone. It's just like a software upgrade to get access to a new digital touch point. So that's one phenomenon. And then the second phenomenon is because it literally isn't my corporate website and it is messaging and it is chat, is that the cost and the time for an enterprise to add that touch point is very, very low. You take mobile messaging, for example, more than 50% of companies we've surveyed have more than one instance of mobile messaging, right? So the tension, Angelita, comes in when you've got a marketing team that's sending out emails and mobile messages through SMS and push and whatnot, You've got a contact center proactively engaging a consumer, and then you may have an operations or a business team or a sales team that's also engaging the consumer. So probably the core, the biggest tension that we're seeing is that consumers are seeing individual functions inside of an organization, and they're not just seeing one brand. In fact, when we survey companies, only 7% strongly agree with the statement. We orchestrate outbound communication, to our customers very well.
1: Seven percent. So you can see that tension in like an example, literally for me last week, going to a hotel and suddenly the hotel is sending me WhatsApp messages and that's coming from the concierge. And there seems to be just this level of like wild westness to this, that outbound messaging to customers. So how do you, how do you get a handle on that? What do you do about it?
2: Yeah. So in terms of how we approach the research, right? So we started out by explaining the complexity of the future and right. And so many executives were like, yeah, you're dead on. That's absolutely happening. And I would say there's five core tensions that surface to the top beyond the consumer just seeing all of the different functions inside of the organization. The first one is executives basically said, we don't make data-driven decisions for funding and supporting the new touch points. right? And That's exactly what you said, Martin. It's the wild west. Anybody with a credit card can go stand up direct messaging on one of the third-party platforms, add SMS to the mix, whatever it may be. Right. And so there's a bunch of things that go into that. It creates like shadow IT. It doesn't allow them to offer consistency across touch points and whatnot. One of the executives, a quote from one of the executives that we got, who was very frustrated by the loud voices, right? Because we're no longer making data driven decisions. It's just kind of the loudest person in the room is there's a tension between the frivolous and the foundational. I have executives who want to do fancy things to support our physical locations. But on the other hand, not everything is rising up to delivering value for our company, right? So a lot of attention there. So the second thing which we've all alluded to here is we have inconsistent offerings by every definition across touch points. We talked to one apparel manufacturer who had four instances of direct messaging stood up. They had the core one on their website where somebody could check for orders. They had something stood up on Messenger so that folks could make an appointment with the retail associates to try on clothing. They had a third one stood up on WhatsApp just to engage with customers in Europe. And then a fourth one was stood up on the mobile app. But each of the four different direct messaging had different functionality. So, the third on the list, uh, tensions, as they say, our dependency on consensus for funding leads to procrastinating foundational work. So what happens with these newer touch points because it isn't like the core website or the core mobile app, and it is things like direct messaging or voice or things like mobile messaging, is companies are building up little individual like tech silos all over the company because then I need like a little customer database and I need logic and I need tools to design that outbound communication. And then we don't have just like one big foundational engine. We've got lots of little engines all over the company. This is driven a lot by misaligned goals across teams, which results in this disjointed experience, right? We've got a marketing team trying to drive brand awareness and do acquisition, a sales team trying to sell and a contact center trying to resolve problems and give customer services. And then finally, right, you can just be too slow to support the digital touch points that their customers are already adopting. You know, if we were to do a comparison of this is what your customers do and this is what you support, there'd be a huge gap between what consumers are using and what enterprises are supporting.
0: Okay, yeah. So across those issues and complexity, there's a lot of maybe good places to start. Like, should we start with some specific use case, like how we're direct messaging customers, or do we
2: start with, let's get the foundation right? That is exactly, I think, Angelina, the tension, right? Because this is the, do I continue invest in the things that have worked well historically, or do I put money into the future things where it's harder to prove the ROI and it's harder to get my arms around it, right? And I think that's always going to be a tension inside of organizations is my safe money, what's worked well for me in the past or how well do I prepare for the future? But when we think about where companies are with trying to think about the tension and how they go forward today, I think a few quotes like from the research that really sum up where the executives are psychologically. One of them said, where I see this going long-term terrifies me. Another one said, I basically see this digital touchpoint landscape as a fragmentation grenade, but really where organizations are struggling, right? So we went through, we talked to executives and said, how well prepared are you to handle this challenge as we look forward? So I would say at the top of the list, executive support is strong. So at the highest levels, they get it. But teams still feel very, very short, though, when it comes to budget and the resources and the vision. Of the executives that we interviewed, 15 out of 20 of them felt that they had executive support. So that's a good thing, right? The ROI of focusing on the future vision as well as the path forward, it's kind of fuzzy, but they know they need to go there, but they're not funding it. Second, we asked the executives, do you have the right organization to go forward? Just seven out of 20 said they had the right organization to go forward to address these challenges. When it comes to talent, it's an inhibitor, not because they don't have good talent, but because it's scarce. Only eight out of the 20 executives feel they've got the talent to go forward. I told you a little bit about governance, right? It suffices today for like, hey, we have a big website, we have a mobile app, but not to go forward with all the future touch points. Only four out of 20 executives felt like they've got the governance they need to go forward and succeed. And then culture is generally strong inside of these digital organizations, but it's got to shift to a more digital focus. Only half of the executives we interviewed felt that they've got the right culture in place to go forward and to address these challenges.
1: So from CX lens, we'd probably default to a recommendation of map your journeys, understand your personas, think about the customer goals and customer outcomes. But then what you're describing is this kind of increase, well, is it increasing? Is Is this fragmentation grenade going to get? harder and harder and harder, are we going to have more channels? Are we going to have more touch points?
2: Oh, absolutely. Have have
1: we peaked yet?
2: No, we haven't peaked yet, right? So I think when we we think about these digital touch points, right? We said there's about 70 that what we call have mass market adoption today, like at least 50% of consumers own like whatever device or use whatever platform it is that these services are built on. But then at the outset, there's about 300. And so there's what we call this emerging bubble, where we've got 20-25% of consumers are using those digital touchpoints, but that's so far away from mass adoption, right? So you start talking about things like smartwatches, anything anyone's doing on a headset. Angelina, we've talked about direct messaging a bit. So while yes, 70 or 80% of consumers in many countries in Europe and North America are using direct messaging, only about 35 or 40% of them are comfortable using that interface to engage with brands, right? So there's also a long journey, Martin, that we go on from, well, yeah, I, I know that there are some things like a headset, but I've never tried it. So I've tried it, I use it, I'm comfortable, and hey, ultimately, that's my preference for getting some kind of a job done on you know within the digital environment.
0: I feel like there's a win here between finding the thing that the customer is super comfortable with and the business is more comfortable with to move forward. But I don't know if you've seen similar sort of matching of the, the customer need, the customer comfort level, and the business need and business comfort level.
2: Well, I think, Angela, there's a couple of things that are in there. I think on one hand, we all talk about delivering great customer experience. But delivering great customer experiences and being everywhere your customers want them to be and how they want a brand to show up is ultimately very expensive. Nobody's operating with an unlimited budget. So I think the crux of it is like, how do we make, given that we have limited resources, how do we make smart decisions about who to serve where and how with what services so that we don't try to do all things for all people on all digital touch points, and this comes into really having a portfolio based approach. You know, If I want to target young adults under the age of 12, Roblox may be the best place for me to be. If I'm trying to target teenagers and young adults, then maybe TikTok and social media is where I should put more of my money. If I'm serving you know, seniors over the age of 75, I'm still taking inbound phone calls right? So age is one of the biggest determinants. Uh, Gender can be a determinant, affluence geographically where I live, but it's really taking into account all of these factors and thinking about how do I best spend my money.
1: So you're really talking about consumer choice here in terms of where people, not even want to, but where they default to interacting in terms of what platform, what touch point, what mode of operation, what context, et cetera. Yeah. And I, and I think we, you know, we saw this in your research in the past, app bloat, where people just threw more and more features into apps. And I feel like that's, well, has that gone away? I feel like that's begun to gone away as app designers get more sophisticated, and work out what the app's for. <laughs> Is that the same kind of pattern we see starting with?
2: I feel like we're seeing these like these two things. On one hand, Martin, we've never taken more inquiry in the past 12 months than we have in the past 15 years on, I want to build a super app. There's so much that so many people wanna do. Oh, so it hasn't gone away. Yeah, I'm gonna do a mobile app. They're like, I wanna build a super app. And Forrester's position on super apps is like the window is closed. Super apps, for those of you who don't know, a super app is an app like WeChat out of China. There's a couple of other globally where essentially WeChat, historically, right? WeChat came about around the year 2011, 2012, because there was a platform It was on a 2G, which is a very slow cellular network. And there were thousands, if not millions of small businesses in China that needed to be digital and people needed a way of paying digitally. So like this notion of the super app rose up, but we believe the window is closed for that because most consumers in Europe and businesses, as well as in North America, right? People have mechanisms to pay and companies are digital. So the super app, I believe is going to be a a fad. It's kind of, it's like actually super apps, like the opposite of the direction that we want to go because what we're getting away from is hey let me build let me build a place and I'm going to put everything possible that I can do in this place and when people want to engage with me as a brand they're going to like come to this place and they're going to navigate around by like clicking or talking to this place and I can just do everything for everyone Right. I think we're actually going in a direction that's completely orthogonal to that, where consumers want to be served more proactively with a right size service or right size content, like just the smallest possible, like minimum viable thing that they need to get the job done in that moment. Companies are wanting to build super apps and we're like, no, 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 don't build the super app. Go exactly in the other direction and build lots of small microservices so that consumers can do things very quickly without wading through like the universe of content and services that you offer.
1: Yeah. And I think you you begin to get into that concept of anticipatory experiences about understanding what your customer is going to want next and being where they are, whether that's on WeChat, Facebook, your mobile website, whatever the bus, Mm -hmm. but that, that still feels well, a I'm in Europe. So that feels creepy and GDPR-esque. We probably can't do that, but it still feels a long way away.
2: Oh yeah, it's, it's very far away. And I think there, there's two dimensions there. So on one hand, you don't want brands to anticipate everything that you need or everything that you want. You know, if you're gonna play a video game or if you're trying to read a book or watch a movie, you know, you don't want that to be over in an instant, right, you just wanna sit back and enjoy it and lean back and have that experience. Anticipatory experiences come into play when you have jobs to get done. And you don't really get a lot of joy out of getting that job done. So sometimes I use an example like Martin, if, you, you know, if you're walking into the grocery store, do you want the door to open for you automatically? Or do you want to like pull on the handle and open the door? That's a version of anticipating a need that you want to walk inside. And I agree with you. Like if companies start collecting a lot of data and they start overreaching and doing things that are very unexpected, I think that can feel very creepy. So companies do have to be careful. But you know, over time you've become very comfortable with walking up to a supermarket door and having that door open for you because it knows that you wanna walk in.
0: Anticipatory experiences, great transition to our follow-up conversation with Julie. Julie, thanks so much for joining for this one and we will see you next episode. Thank you, thanks for having me guys.
1: And thank you to producers Ellie and Julia, without whom none of this would happen. If you want to get in touch, email us at cxcast at And as always, you can find us at Forrester.com or on your favorite podcast platform. So don't forget to like, subscribe and tune in next time for more CX Insights.